I listened to last week's message and Pastor Wells was trying to steal my badge and we all know we have a badge of honor and I think this goes back for uh, VBS uh, maybe a year or so ago and it's kind of missing some points now but kind of like all of us we get pieces broken off don't we life seems to happen but it's laid up here for a long time and I think I'm just going to keep it just for just cause of saying there's a new sheriff in town. Stand back. Johnny Bivens and watch us go. We do have an awesome sheriff in our community and I thank God for Johnny and, and just, you know, a few weeks ago I got to sit and talk to him for a while and just um, listen to him talk about um, his church attendance and how awesome it is to have elected officials that serve God and that respect God. Amen. And I'm glad to see and hear his faith being increased and how that he gets to ask questions of his pastor and his pastor answers his questions, sometimes with questions. It causes him to think. God doesn't want robots. If all he wanted was robots, he'd make a bunch of angels, and that's what we'd be. So why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you're not an angel. <laughs> no matter how... The Bible says we shouldn't have an overinflated view of ourselves. Amen. It tells us to be humble. And I thank God for that. Um, our message today, and I, I've been just pondering this um, topic here, um, and it's just been on my mind. And it's one of those things that um, God's instrument. So if you're not an angel, you're not perfected, you're not perfect. You're not a robot. To God, you're an instrument. Sometimes you're out of tune. <laughs> I read one article this week that said if we want to be God's instrument, we need to be tuned up daily. Amen? Have you ever given your kids a good tuning up? <laughs> Sometimes we need it, don't we? There's a little bit of a tune-up. So let's be God's instruments in his cause and his purpose and his plan for our lives. Can you print that paper you sent me? Okay. Um, sorry. This is how my brain works. <laughs> Anybody else's brain work like that? Leslie says squirrel every time I do something like that. Like it's, you know what I'm saying. You just, it kind of, it's the way it works. God's instrument. Look at your neighbor and say, you're God's instrument. And basically when you're saying that, it's saying that uh, you're second fiddle. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say, I don't want to be second fiddle to anyone? 
A lot of people think that way, that they don't want to be second fiddle to somebody else. They don't want to take seat number two. They want seat number one. They want to direct. They want to control. They want to do all these things. And sometimes in our humanity, we do it sometimes unknowingly that we try to control other humans, try to control other people. We instruct, we correct, we do those things. When God's saying to us, I need you to be second fiddle. And when we say that, I mean that God wants to be the first fiddle. So he's the main show and he's the one that's in tune always. And his sound is never wrong. So when you hear me play bass, you hear a couple of sour notes now and then. And I have to play second fiddle bass, I guess. I don't know. But the weird part is, is when uh, people that understand music, and I, I know enough to be dangerous about music, and I kind of like to play every now and then, not a lot. And it's just fun to try to keep up with what's going on. But when I hit those sour notes, you can look over and see Dusty, and he starts giggling. So if you see Dusty giggling, or if you see somebody like Corey over there giggling, Corey went to college for music and understands music theory and all these things. I know enough about music, if it says play A, I hit A. If it says B flat, I hit B flat. I know where it's at on that fretboard on that guitar, but sometimes I hit the wrong fret. And that's where it sounds a little bit sour, a little bit off, but at least I'm playing the fiddle. Amen? And that's what God wants us to do, even though sometimes we may hit the wrong chord or the wrong string. At least you're playing. Get in the game. And I got a quote here today that I'm going to show from Teddy Roosevelt. He's one of my ones that I just, historically, I love history. I love all those things. And I, I think a lot of Teddy Roosevelt, so much so that he is, the screen on my phone and has been for years that he's just like in leadership in action in all those things I just really like Teddy Roosevelt but he had a speech one time that said and he went through all these things and he said be the man in the arena because if you're just one out there blow georging basically and tell them about what all you can do, but you never do anything. He said, you don't have a right to challenge the man in the arena. And I love that. It's actually one of the few recordings that there is of Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, he's born in 1858, I believe, and passed away in 1919. So that's a long time ago. But they have recordings of his voice and they talk about what a great orator he was, but his voice wasn't a booming, bassy, strong voice. It was really shrill and high-pitched and like, I'm Teddy Roosevelt and I'm for what? It's like literally like that on YouTube. Watch some of these videos. It's like I had all this in my mind, Todd, about what Teddy Roosevelt would sound like, but you run across his speeches and it's like, uh, I don't know if that's my guy anymore. <laughs> But he was standing up his last race when he was running for election in 1912, and 
he ended up winning over like a majority of the party, like 60-some percent of the party in 1912 in the primary, but the people of the party elected his opposition over him even though he won the numbers. So he got mad and he said, I'm going to start my own party, and he called it the Bull Moose Party. <laughs> bull Moose. They said, how, how strong do you feel about this race, Teddy? I feel like a bull moose. Have you ever seen a bull moose? How about an elk? You ever seen an elk? Those things are ginormous. It's like a cow on stilts. I mean, huge animals. And he was talking about the strength. He had seen all these animals. He, he's the one out west doing all those things. But as he started this bull moose party, he um, started the third party. And when he ran in that race, he ended up losing. But towards the end of his stump speeches, as he's giving his stump speeches running for office, he ended up getting shot. So he's standing up in the car, driving down the road, and Corey made fun of me a little bit earlier when I walked in the room. And I, was, I was waving like this, my pageant wave. Everybody's, you guys got the pageant wave down? Just kind of through grin real big. Earl's got that, kind of like that, yeah. Riding in the Camaro in a pink <laughs> tutu. Yeah, I'd look good, Earl. He'd look good like that. But anyway, he's standing up in the car, and he's driving down the road, and, you know, they're driving him. He's just waving, smiling real big. Some guy took a shot at him. Pow! It went through his speech and a glasses case and slowed down enough where it lodged in his chest. Hit the ground, stood back up, <coughs> coughed a couple times, no blood. He said, I'm good. Let's go on. i got to go give that speech. Think about this. And rides down the road, gets to the place where he's going, and gives an hour and a half speech being shot. You talk about willpower. You talk about steadfastness. You talk about all the terms that we're going to talk about today. He exemplified that. A willingness to endure even pain of being shot I still got to do what I got to do. What if we in our Christianity had that kind of steadfastness about us that we went above and beyond the call of duty? Even being shot, would we still be preaching Jesus? We should. That nothing will stop me from the destiny that God has prepared for me. He ends up losing the election and goes off in the sunside and takes his son and goes down to South America and loses 50 pounds on his last expedition, comes back and dies a few years later. But they told him, why would you go and why would you take his chance at 50-some years old? And he said, I've already lived three lives. Why would I worry about losing this one? I've been to Africa. I've been everywhere all over the planet. I've been out west, fought in wars. It's all good. Death is not scary to me and he got to spend time with his son because of that willingness to say not just for me to experience what I've experienced but I train and teach others so God's instrument is that kind of fortitude that kind of mindset to say I'm going to keep going no matter what I will not I shall not give up. Amen? Is there anybody in the room that says, I am not backing down. I've came too far now to turn around and go back to that old mess.
Amen. Jesus has set me free from sin. And I'm ready to do what he's asked me to do. So these couple of verses I want to read to you today. And Romans 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 6. And I want us to look at verse 12, beginning at verse 12. Romans 6. So I have a New Living Translation that I'm going to read from here today. Um, I've got it on my phone, but I've got New King James, my Bible here. Romans 6, verse 12. If you're there, say amen. It says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to his sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument to evil, of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So you used to, your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we should go on sinning? Of course not. Everybody say, of course not. So Paul, writing to the Roman church, is telling them about this ideal of being an instrument to God. And he ends this portion of Scripture asking the question, because grace abounds, should we go on sinning just because we're already covered by grace? And he says, of course not. Everybody say, that's easier said than done. <laughs> that sin presses itself upon us daily. The evil one, the enemy of our souls, attempts at his best daily to get us to fall short of the glory of God. Am I alone in that statement? Or is there anybody here that endures the pressure of the enemy? Amen? Amen? That sin is always possible. In an instant, sin is always possible. Though we're under grace, Paul is saying we should not take advantage of that grace. We should not think, well, I'm just going to go ahead and sin, and then I'll ask for forgiveness in a minute or two. I feel like cussing them out because they just cut me off on the road. That's sin. Am I the only one that believes that? Is that sin? So that sin is there. I shouldn't do it and say one minute later, well, forgive me, Jesus. Of course not we shouldn't do that, according to Paul here. Now, if when we do sin, the Bible does teach in other places that we have an advocate with the Father, who means our counsel is Jesus. And he goes to the Father and says, yeah, my blood covered that too. <laughs> Jodon said, thank God. Shouldn't we all? 
thank God that my sin is covered under the blood of Jesus because he willingly gave his life for mine. So being an instrument of God, and I looked up over the internet and found this little statement here. It says, a true instrument of God is someone whose mind and heart are kind, generous, and pure. He or she wants nothing but to exalt the greatness of God and to help others recognize their need for him. A true instrument for God. It's someone whose mind and heart are kind, generous, and pure. How many wants to be known as someone who is kind? Amen? The being kind is a decision away. Being kind is intentional. Being kind is God's will. And I wish and I want and I desire to be kind. But then we have to answer the question of being kind to who? <laughs> being kind to my enemy? Being kind to the person I don't like very much? Being kind to the person in the community that's saying bad things and derogatory things and even false things, accusations of me? See, those choices are harder than the ones that it's easy to be kind to people that's kind to you. Jesus said, you've heard it said that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, love your enemies as you love yourself. Jesus' version of these words far exceed what we humanly even know is possible. I want to be kind. I want to be kind to others. And others means everyone. Rich, poor, young, old. There will be no differences, male, female, black, white. what their creed is, what their religion is, what their opinions are. I just want to be kind. If it's a decision that we have to decide, and the decision rests on our ability to decide in real times, in real moments, what am I going to do? So I'd just like for you to ponder for just a moment and think back to us time maybe even this past week or maybe if you need to if you're a lot better person than me then maybe you need to go back this past month or something can you think about a time recently where you have been not kind but unkind everybody say oh me oh my <laughs> forgive me Jesus Take that to the Father and say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Kindness will go a long ways. Kindness will take you farther in obtaining new friends, 
and getting influence that you had not before because of a decision that you make to be kind to people maybe that don't even deserve it. And it takes humility to do that. That I have to be humble in my decision, in my deciding factor. Am I going to be kind in this instant? And sometimes those things are planned for us, isn't it? That you go to an event or you get called to do something or you end up and it's planned way ahead and, and you got this on your calendar and it's been scheduled there for a long time, Chuck, and you know it's coming and you know somebody's going to be there because you've looked at the guest list and you think, I hope that I can stay on the other side of the room during this conference. I hope that I can just keep my distance. But then God shows up. <laughs> Amen. And takes you right over there and puts you in that predicament where you have to decide. Come on, somebody. And he's saying, are you going to be my instrument? Are you in tune or are you out of tune? <laughs> he's tuning you up by placing you in those situations. And they're tough, they're hard, but in the moment, we have to decide, am I going to stick out my hand or am I going to raise my fist? How many have some people that you just seem to knock their jaw off and shake their hand? Amen. Leslie <laughs> said the spirit is Mike. That's what Pastor Wells kind of, you know, he trained her well. <laughs> what are we going to do? Are we getting tuned up by God? Are we allowing him to say, you're first place fiddle and I'm just second fiddle here? But you've got me in this instance. And there's somebody here that don't know you and you're using me to get to them. I'm second fiddle. But guess what? I'm still a fiddle. And in that, being an instrument of God is where you stick out your hand and you shake their hand and use that moment. Use that moment to be kind. To be obedient to God. And you never know when you do that that God may open the door and maybe they don't like you just as much as you don't like them. Maybe they understand who you are and they, they don't want to be around you either. But God has you in a moment because he's trying to reach even your enemy. What are you going to do? Being an instrument for God is uneasy. It's uncomfortable. But he wants you to be his instrument. His desire is to use you, not abuse you. And when we allow him to use us for his glory and his kingdom and his purposes, great things happen. Because those relationships can be mended when we allow God to do his perfect work. Everybody say, I want to be kind. Kind like Jesus. Is that easy? No. Was it easy for Jesus to go and let them beat him and spit on him and punch him and kick him and whip him with a quarter cat of nine tails, 39 stripes on his back, tore his flesh off his back, raw? Was that easy? And then watch them and look over as they're putting those 
nails through his wrist and through his feet and agony and pain? Was that easy? I think not. But in that moment, was he kind? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Did they know what they was doing? They knew they was doing what the king told them to do. They was doing what they knew the governor told them to do. But did they know that they was crucifying the very son of God? They was making fun. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Look, king of the Jews. We serve an earthly king, not a king of heaven. He preached about heaven. They was making fun of even his position and who he was. But even in that moment, I'm going to exemplify kindness and ask God to forgive them even when it hurts. That's the call of duty. That's what God's asking us to do. So what about generous? So a true instrument of God is someone whose mind and heart are kind, generous. What is generosity? Giving? That brings on another question. Giving what? Does, does money, giving money, does that cure all evil? <laughs> it just expands it, don't it? How many's making more money today than you ever thought you would make in your life? When I started, I, I remember a guy down the hall paid me $3 an hour to work. I had no idea what God was doing in creating me with a skill that would pay what I'm making today. And in making $3 an hour, I even thought that was good money, Chris. I was glad to get it. I was jealous because Howie was driving the garbage truck and making more than me. I'm beating in duct work underneath the house crawling around. I don't even like spiders, and I don't like all that underneath the house. And I'm kind of a little bit claustrophobic, but I did it anyway. And the guy that taught me how to do those things, he was generous in giving me a skill set that I didn't even know I would use in my future. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Kids today don't know what they want to do. I, I remember being there. But God uses those things with a purpose that can take us places to do things that we didn't even think possible. Because that guy could have went and hired somebody else, but no, he was generous to the little boy up the holler that he knew would work. He knew that when he came up to visit us that Dad showed him and told him how we helped hang the tobacco that year when Dad was on the road working. Me and Howie had the Fraley's come down and help us because we needed help. But we had done it enough to know how to even hang tobacco. Thank God for that. And this guy was generous enough to give me a job. But that money don't cure everything. So our giving and being generous doesn't just include money. Because we've got more things than money. Amen? So what can we give to people? Time. Kind words. We can give our talents to God to use them for his glory and his building of his kingdom. Time, talents, and treasures. It's what we say all the time here at church. If we want our people to be generous, we want you generous with those three things. Your time, your talents, and your treasures in the kingdom of God for his purposes, for his glory. 
Because if as a church, as a body of believers, if we was all generous with those three things, the world would be a better place. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to be generous. Well, I just wanted to be kind. <laughs> that sounded doable. Generous? Eh, I don't know. Was Jesus generous? When we're reading these verses about being an instrument of God and it tells us to don't sin after we've received God's grace? Of course not. That's a statement, of course not. Is Jesus generous with his grace? Have you sinned since you've been saved? Amen. <laughs> There we go. It's getting a little more truthful in here now. Boss says, no, the truth and the truth will make you free. But should we? No. Do we? Yes. Is Jesus generous with his grace and covers our sin even after he already saved us? He absolutely does, almost on a daily basis, I'm sure. That sometimes in my willful disobedience to God, intentional sin, he should not cover me, but yet he does. Thank God for his grace. The Bible says his grace is sufficient for us. It covers our intentional sin and disobedience to him. Jesus exemplifies generosity through his grace, his mercy, his truth. All the things that he did and taught when he was here on this earth. He showed grace and generosity and kindness. Zacchaeus. You remember the story? A wee little man was he? What? What? A sycamore tree? Yeah. For the Lord he wanted to see. It's a nursery rhyme that they teach in nursery. Thank God we didn't have that, right? <laughs> But that's why I remember how a wee little man was he. What that mean? He was a shortened stature that it says in Scripture. And he knew there was a crowd coming, and he had already planned and purposed that Jesus, and he knew this was the route he was taking, and he watched as Jesus went through this route so many times, and he thought, this time I'm going to climb up in the tree so I can see him. Because he knew the stories of the blind man. Amen. The lame, the halt, the maimed, the scriptures teach us about, that Jesus healed all manner of diseases. He heard these stories. He was a tax collector. He was one of the 69,000 new IRS agents. Thank God for him, Chuck, right? Yeah, thank God for them. business owner Derek's sitting here like he's grinning he's like don't even look at me <laughs> but Zacchaeus climbs up in this tree and he, and he looks and he's there and he perfectly positioned himself but he has no idea that a generation or two ago that God caused a seed to fall in the ground and to sprout up out of the ground and didn't allow anybody to cut it down and it blossomed into this big sycamore tree because God knew Zacchaeus was going to be here a generation later. God knows us before we ever existed. 
And He prepares places, times, and things for us generations ago, before we ever was even in our mother's womb. God prepares. And Zacchaeus climbs up his tree and he looks down and he's perfectly positioned to see Jesus come by. I just want to say that I saw him. I'd love to shake his hand. I'd love to have a moment or two with him. But I will settle just by seeing him. How much do you desire Jesus? How big is he in our lives? I would settle to see him. As Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And I wasn't even worthy to speak. And I fell as a dumb man. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, is what Isaiah said. I don't deserve to speak when God shows up. And Isaiah up. Just seeing that, the glory of God. Dream bigger dreams than you've ever dreamed. Think greater possibilities than you ever thought possible because with God, they are. In healing relationships, all these things that we're talking about. But generosity, Zacchaeus up in this tree and he's looking down and he's thinking, man, I'm going to get a scene. Today's my day. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get to go back and tell the other 68,999 agents, I saw him. I saw the one that can th- tell his servant to go down and throw a line in the water and a fish come up and gold's there to pay his taxes. I saw him. The Bible says that Jesus with his disciples begins to come through. And Jesus looks up in that tree and he says, Zacchaeus, Come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today, and I'm eating at your table. Come on, somebody. Jesus goes farther than even what we think is possible. I'll be settled for seeing him, but yet here he is saying, I'll come and sit down in your house, and I'll eat at your table. And as he's sitting there eating with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is beginning to think about all these things that the training he had been through, that how he knew that he could shift the weights on the scales to where that he would tax people, and he had these uh, shifted scales. They literally had scales like the old ones you saw that had a, uh, this side and this side, and you placed weight on there. They would skew the weight so that they would tax people more, and he knew it. If somebody owed a penny, he took four from them because he skewed the weight on the opposite side of the scale, Rose. But when Jesus was sitting in the room with him in his house, this big luxurious castle that he had built himself an empire, when the Son of God sits and stares at you across the table, Zacchaeus begins to think, he knows me. He knew my name when I was in the tree. He didn't know who I was, but he knew me. He's staring through the windows of my soul and he's seeing the depths of my heart and I know I've messed up. I've been a cheater. I've taken advantage of people. And Jesus is piercing eyes, staring him down, sitting across this table. Zacchaeus just pukes out these words and says, whatever I've taken from them, I'll give back this many fold. I'd rather be bankrupt and know you than have all of this. When I see you, when you sit at my table, I would rather not have anything on this earth and know Jesus. I'll settle for second fiddle. 
I've been an instrument for the government. I'd rather be an instrument for you. Your generosity exceeds my greediness. He knew what greedy meant, but he meant what generosity was. And can you imagine those folks in that town as Zacchaeus carried out this mission of being an instrument for God and him taking back money that he had stolen? How many would like to receive a check from the IRS that you didn't know was coming? Come on, somebody. They took too much. Hallelujah. We'd blow it anyway. <laughs> We'd go buy Jeeps or something. <laughs> Don't you sit back there and grin. Your 1999, what are they? What was they? The four-wheeler he's got? 250R, yeah, Honda. He's had a couple banshees here lately. I still got one of them. Anybody wants one for sale? There's right here. You got a man in the middle. We'll do auction here in a minute. <laughs> or maybe it'd just be generous and just give it to Earl. Wouldn't that be awesome, Earl, if he was just that generous? Just give you a 250R. That sounds awesome. The Bible says that they had all things in common. I mean, they they just willing to give food from their table. A true instrument of God is someone whose mind and heart are kind, generous, and pure. We've talked about being kind. We've talked about generous, generosity. Let's talk about purity. Matthew 5, 8 was the little home interior pieces that mom purchased that somebody made and designed. And in that little home interior piece that she held... In our hallway upstairs, as me and Howie had to go upstairs to our bedrooms, and she had this little thing there, a plaque on the wall, and that little plaque said, Matthew 5 8. Even when I was an unchristian, everybody say unchristian, or pre Christian, if that'll be better, pre Christian, she had this plaque on the wall, Matthew 5 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Everybody repeat that with me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many, wants, how many wants to see God? Zacchaeus wanted to see God, and God did more for him than what he expected, right? What do we see in God do? Do we just want to see him at afar, or do we want him to come to our house neat? How close do we want to get? So as this happens, a pure in heart mentality draws Jesus where we can see him closer than we thought possible, just like for Zacchaeus. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed means highly favored, right? Amen. I love your post last night. It's carrying on. Blessed and highly favored. <coughs> Blessed are the pure in heart. Highly favored are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See God do what? Preached a sermon a few years ago about that very verse, what do you want to see God do? What's your dream? What's your need? What's your want? The Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart. And the key to getting that is the purity of our heart. So how pure can we be 
if we're depending on our own abilities. Because that puts me first fiddle when I depend on my own abilities. But if I sit back for just a moment and become an instrument of God, which is the second fiddle, that's where the purifying happens. Allow God to be front and center. That's his only place. He will not accept another place. Because the enemy in heaven one day looked up and said, I want to go sit on that place. Didn't he? I want to sit on his seat. What happened? Oh, Lucifer, I saw you fall from heaven as of lightning. The battle happened for a split second, faster than light could travel. That's how long that the enemy was able to fight and put on an objection to God's rule and place sitting in the seat. And he was exited from heaven. Why? Because he desired to sit in a place that was not his. God is first and will be no other. Amen? He is pure and there is no other. How do we become pure? How do we gain this purity that we need to see God do the stuff that we desire? Bootsy, how do, we, how do we get pure? The way we get pure and obtain purity is by accepting what he did for what I did. When we accept Jesus, do we become pure? Are you saved or not? And when you accept his son Jesus as your savior, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on a cross of Calvary for me. And I'm giving him my life. Purity instantly happens. Because the only way you're going to enter in according to the marriage supper of the Lamb and all these stories in the Bible that talks about the virgins, all these things, the only way you're ever going to get into heaven is to come in there with a pure white robe. And there won't be spots nor blemishes on it, Sister Joanne. It's purity, pure white. A radiancy that exceeds our capabilities. And as God looks at us with that pure white robe, he sees what his son did, not what we did. Amen. The reason we need a robe is because i got to cover up for my mess. And Jesus gave us cover. He purifies us when we become saved. Now that is a, a doctrine. That is a, a biblical standard. That is a truth. We need Jesus to purify us. Salvation does that. What about after salvation? That's the word sanctification. A continuous of God's grace to continue to purify me. And purifying only happens for gold and all these pure metals when there's heat. Everybody in this room, you need some heat applied. Amen? You can't preserve green beans if you don't put some fire under the pot. Right. Come on, somebody. Is it comfortable for those green beans whenever you get that temperature cooking like that and the whistle blowing? No. The comfortability is gone. 
But the purity comes and makes it where it's stable to be perfected so that it lasts and stands the test of time. Those green beans in that jar, why? Because of pressure, because of temperature, because of God doing something bigger than what is capable in and of ourselves. We need the fire of God that Pastor Wells preached about last week. Why? Because it purifies me. A refiner's fire of purity. And wouldn't you know that a sermon that's supposed to be one sermon is not capable of being finished in one sermon, but I'm done anyway. Teddy Roosevelt said this. One of my quotes I, I told you earlier. I, I, I love him. I, I thank God for him. He said a lot of things in order. But the benefits we possess today, and it wasn't easy, but he did it anyway. He was generous, he was kind, and he was pure. In today's terms, he would be a billionaire. His family was the elite of the elite. He would be the 1% of the 1%. But yet, he gave basically his whole life for the betterment of others. Teddy Roosevelt did. Now, you can go read and find some junk on him. I ain't saying he was perfect. I'm saying he did good. That's what I want to do. Is some good. And he said, I, in, in one of his quotes, he said this, that he wanted to simplify life for us to understand, and he wants us to understand something. He said, do what you can with what you have where you are. If you want to be successful, do what you can with what you have where you are. I don't know what this message means to you. <laughs> I don't know the plans God has for you. That's between you and Him. But I know that He's given you abilities. I know He's given you talents. Everybody repeat this after me. Do what you can with what you have where you are. If you'll do those things, this world will be a better place. Because if we all did those three very simple things and thought about it that way, the world would be a better place. The person that wrote Romans says, was the Apostle Paul. And I want to read in Acts 19 as I'm, I'm done here. So Saul used to be named Paul. He was blinded when God, when he saw Jesus, and Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And he was blinded because his physical eyes could not take in what Jesus was and is. And after they took him on and they led him blind, and he ended up over in the town of Damascus where he went to arrest Christians. He was going to persecute them. He was going to put them in jail for being a Christian. You want to live in that society? Doesn't sound easy, does it? What are you going to do in those instances? But there was a guy that Jesus appeared to also named Ananias, and he told Ananias, go 
And this is the story we're going to read. I want you to listen to this. This is the guy that Jesus told to go to the person that had his warrant for his arrest. If Johnny Bivens has the warrant for your arrest, you're not going to go look him up and say, man, glad to see you. But listen to this. Ananias says, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. See, Ananias said, but Lord. Now listen to this, verse 15. But the Lord said. His butt trumps your butt. Look at your neighbor and say that. That's a pretty good quote. <laughs> His butt trumps your butt. It's a fact. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he shall suffer for my sake. The one that had the warrant for others' arrest is arrested by Jesus. Jesus is saying, I've got a purpose, and he's going to be my instrument the least likely to be used in their society in what they thought was the plan of God for the church the least likely the not good enough the one that was hated by the church was who God said he is my instrument so no matter what you've done he watched Stephen be killed. And God said, I'll use him anyway. You have not done anything bad enough that God will not use you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for such a beautiful congregation of people of your servants, of your chosen instruments. And God, you have a big plan for all of our lives. Greater than we even know possible. And God, I pray today that you would spark in our memory the dreams the plans, the visions that you have given to people sitting in this room today that have been sitting on their hands afraid to make a move and operating in fear and saying, I don't know if God will use me. He can use Pastor Dusty. He can use Pastor Albie or Pastor Leslie. I don't know if he'll use me. But today, God, I pray that you would spark within them and ignite a fire that causes them to do more than they even knew possible. God, for there's people that they shall reach that they know not of. Even their enemies 
will bow at your name. Use them as instruments to get to them. Mend relationships that are wounded, that are hurt. Do the deep work in this place today, Jesus, that just like Zacchaeus, that we would see deeper than we've ever saw before. If our impurities, that they would come bubbling to the top and we would do things to make right those things that we have done wrong. Do the deep work in us, oh Jesus. Sit at our table and sup with us so that we could become like you. That we would be the instruments that our Heavenly Father would use. Just as you prayed, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. God, help us today to exemplify that. To be who you've called us to be. And help us to do what we can with what we have where we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amy, I want you to come up here and I want you to read this letter for me if you would. Dear church family of Bethesda Assembly of God, you are a lovely part of this great Assemblies of God fellowship. I still remember my wonderful day of ministry in service with you a few years ago. The beautiful presence of the God of God in the service, the passionate worship and warm fellowship of believers. We look forward to all that God has in store for you as you keep the flame burning bright and continue to welcome the Holy Ghost in power to your lives and service for Christ. On behalf of the Kentucky Assemblies of God and in connect, conjunction with dialogue and the support of local church leadership, the duty elected Kentucky Assemblies of God Presbyter, Reverend James Wells, as well as the Assemblies of God, credentialed ministers in good standing, Reverend Ben Collier and Leslie Collier, in light of Pastor Linda Sarton's resignment and transition from the pastorate, as superintendent of our Kentucky Ministry Network of Assemblies of God, I do hereby appoint Reverend Ben Collier as Senior Pastor of Vanceburg, Bethesda Assembly of God, effective immediately. To God be the glory, Pastor Joseph Gerdler. Dated September 22, 2010. So just a day or two ago was 13 years later this past week. 13 years later. And yet here we still stand. And I'm honored and I'm pleased and I feel blessed to be your pastor. 
Leslie has tried our best and I know we've came short and I know we've failed at times and And if you would have told me, Sister Joanne, when we had that first meeting and they read this letter, Pastor Wells come here and read this to this church. If you'd have told me I'd be here 13 years later, I knew that wasn't possible because the majority of pastors last 18 months. In America today, if you become a pastor, if you go past 18 months, you're beating the norms. And that's what I thought was possible, was normal. But God does have normal things. And we just give ourselves to be his instruments. And I want to tell you, all I want to do is what I can with what I have where I am. And I love you. And I cherish you. And I feel gifted. It feels like Christmas every day. (laughs) That I get such beautiful people to love. And I cherish you with my heart. I assure you that. (laughs) And we need you. Hopefully as much as you need us. Let's do good. Let's continue the good fight of faith. He's worth it. I'll just be second fiddle. Amen. Love God, love people. Be a blessing to somebody this week. Be God's instruments in your world.